right, open your Bibles, please, to John chapter 12. We'll be looking at verses 12 through 19 this morning. Here's where Jesus enters into Jerusalem. An important point to grasp before I pray for us is that from this moment forward, everything that John writes up to chapter 20, all of this occurs in a span of just six days. I've mentioned it before, over half of the Gospel of John, or almost half of it, is written for six days, the last six days of Jesus' life. So let's pray, and then I'll read our passage. O Lord, who is sufficient for these things? You and your glory is amazing and beyond comprehension, especially for those of us who read about it and were not there to see it. But O Lord, we know that you will give us what we need that you will cause us to see and hear and understand what it is we're supposed to grasp from this ride into Jerusalem by you, O Father, by you, O Jesus. And we pray, Lord, that you would do this out of your great love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So starting in verse 12 of the 12th chapter of the Gospel of John. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughters of Zion, behold! Your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Thank you, Lord, for the blessedness of your word. So here we are. I mean, what's the big deal? Jesus gets on a donkey and rides him up the hill into the city of Jerusalem. What's the big deal about this? So what? Well, as so many of you know, this was the often referred to as the triumphal entry. It was called triumphal because it was so glorious and such a raucous parade. I mean, there was singing, there was dancing. I know that's an issue for us, but they did it anyway. There was singing and dancing and palm branches being waved up and down. I mean, this was, this was a big party, a big parade. In fact, I would dare say that this parade would outmatch anything in any Mardi Gras parade. I know that's a stunning statement. 
I know that I can't quite back it up because we don't have much evidence to go on besides what's written here of what this parade looked like. But it was a divine moment. The Holy Spirit was working not just in Jesus the Son or the disciples, but he was at work in this great large crowd who was crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I think it's important to, well, I think it's important. I mean, you guys know how geographically crazy I am, how much I love maps. If you've ever been to Jerusalem, there's no palm trees. And there's other trees, but there are no palm trees. And I've often thought to myself, you know, there was never any palm trees when I was there in Jerusalem. Where did they get palm branches for this? And they were there, of course, to celebrate Passover. And part of Passover was similar to the Feast of Tabernacles, where some people would build these temporary booths in them just as they did at the Feast of Tabernacles. And so the palm branches were a part of building one of those little temporary shelters. But then that raises the question, where did they get them? Well, if you've ever been there, you know Jericho. You've probably observed that Jericho, the region of Jericho, has lots of palm trees. And lots of, so there's lots of palm branches. So during the Feast of Passover and during the Feast of Tabernacles, they actually literally had to import palm branches from Jericho into Jerusalem. Okay. Somebody had a business where they harvested palm branches, put them on a couple of donkey carts, and, you know, sent them off to Jerusalem to be purchased by the pilgrims. So, well, here's the so. First, it's about a 25-mile to 30-mile trek from Jericho to Jerusalem. Oh, and it's a 2,000-foot elevation change. Okay, to give you some perspective, you were to hike up Castle Rock from, you know, basically here. Maybe you'd go over and park by the little parking area next to the, on the, near the school and decide to walk the trail up to the top of Castle Rock. You would have to do it 10 times. 10 Castle Rocks to equal the elevation change between Jericho and Jerusalem. It was no small thing for people to get these palm branches. Yet it just so happened that on the day Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, there's all these palm branches. And so what's the big deal, right? I mean, so what? Well, here's the big deal. The palm branches were a sign of royalty. Kings would often, in other places besides Jerusalem, have a procession, a parade of sorts like this as they came into the city, and there would be palm branches waved at them and around them as part of, it's part of the recognition of the kingship of someone. And so here they are waving palm branches. Okay, look, and this is part of the Pharisees' issues at the end of this passage. Look, look, you're, you're saying Jesus is the king 
while the Roman garrison of 1,000 soldiers is just, you know, a couple hundred feet away, maybe a couple hundred yards away, and you're saying this king is coming into the city, well, this could cause a problem. And it could. He's the king of Israel. And he's riding into Jerusalem just like a victorious king would ride in. Except it's on the humility of the donkey. That's why the palm branches matter. Does it matter that they came from all the way from Jericho? Sort of. It matters because it was part of God's divine plan of the anointing and public recognition of Jesus Christ as the King of Israel. And of course, as we know, the King of the universe. This is just no small thing that they're waving palm branches. And it raises the question, why were they so wrapped up in anointing Jesus as the King? Well, we read in the middle, later part of the passage, the crowd had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went out to meet him was they heard he had done this sign. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And because he had done this, this huge crowd had observed it at the day when they were standing at the tomb and Lazarus was called forth. Lazarus, come forth. And this large crowd of people who had been there at the tomb saw it happen. And now they've been telling everybody what they saw. And this crowd of pilgrims coming into Jerusalem for Passover, they hear that Jesus raised a man from the dead who had been dead for four days. No one could do this unless he's the promised Messiah. This is amazing. This is stunning. And so they began to come and meet him and to see him because of this sign he had done and to wave the palm branches, to have a parade, to have the singing so that they could have their king they've waited for for so long. Kind of like us. We've waited for so long for Jesus, our King, to come back with His second coming, to make all things new, to take away all the pain, to take away all the hurts. And we've waited so long for our King. And we have to wait a little longer just like the Israelites did for centuries, waiting for their Messiah, waiting for their King. And so we have to wait for it with patience. But one of the most critical parts of this passage is right there in verse 15. Fear not, O daughters of Zion. Behold, your King is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. This is a quote from Zechariah chapter 9. So I'd ask you to open your Bibles and turn to Zechariah. If you're not familiar with Zechariah, he's uh, next to the last book in the Old Testament. So you find Matthew and just go back a few pages and you'll be in Zechariah. You know, I said he's the next to last. I 
Malachi. Yeah. Zechariah is the second to last book of the Old Testament. Turn backwards in Zechariah to chapter 9. So, I'm going to read all of chapter 9 in the book of Zechariah because I want you to grasp it's one thing to see that Jesus is coming in as the king. It's one thing to see that the people see it as the king. But you and I need to grasp what they thought it meant for Jesus to be the king and to come into Jerusalem. And the best way to grasp that is for me to read all of chapter 9 from the book of Zechariah. The oracle of the Lord is against the land of Hadrach and Damascus. It is the resting place, for the Lord has an eye on mankind and on all the tribes of Israel, and on Hamath also which borders on it, and Tyre and Sidon, though they are very wise. Tyre has built herself a rampart, headed up silver like dust and fine gold, like the mud of the streets. But behold, the Lord will strip her of her possessions and strike down her power on the sea. And she shall be devoured by fire. Askelon shall see it and be afraid. Gaza too, and shall writhe in anguish. Ekron also, because its hopes are confounded. The king shall perish from Gaza. Askelon shall be uninhabited. A mixed people shall dwell in Ashdod, and I will cut off the pride of the Philista. I will take away its blood from its mouth and his abominations from between its teeth. It too shall be a remnant for our God. It shall be like a clan in Judah, and Ekron shall be like the Jebusites. Then I will encamp at my house as a guard, so that none shall march to and fro, no oppressor shall again march over them. For now I see with my own eyes. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey. On a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you also, behold the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope, today I declare that I will restore you double. For I have bent Judah as my bow, and I have made Ephraim its arrow. I will stir up your sons, O Zion, against your sons, O Greece, and wield you like a warrior's sword. Then the Lord will appear over them, and his arrow will go forth like lightning. The Lord God will sound the trumpet and will march forth in the whirlwind of the south. The Lord of hosts will protect them, and they shall devour and tread down the sling stones, and they shall drink and roar as if drunk with wine, and be full like a bowel, drenched like the corners of the altar. On that day, the Lord their God will save them, as the flock of his people, for like the jewel of a crown they shall shine on the, his land, 
For how great is his goodness and how great his beauty. Grain shall make the young men flourish and the new wine the young women. Do you see the picture here of Jesus is entering? Do you see what the book of Zechariah sets the place for? How it presents a period of the coming Messiah as, as the great savior and deliverer for the people of Israel. The one who shatters the bow of their enemies. The one who drives out the foreign nations from everywhere within the place of Israel. That even Gaza is a place belonging to Israel where the people of God live. Those who worship and trust and believe in Yahweh. Even there. And this great promise of joy and delight and prosperity even. Because of the peace of the nation. And the deliverance and the salvation. The breaking of the battle bow. All of those. Everything. Look at all of that in chapter 9. All of that is the expectations of this crowd in this parade. As they welcome Jesus in and sing Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're expecting this Jesus. Not the one they actually get. They get the Jesus who dies for them, willingly going on to the Roman cross, shedding his blood through all of the agony of the preparation for crucifixion. That's the Jesus they get. Everything that we see in chapter 9 of the book of Zechariah is the Jesus we get. This Jesus, chapter 9 of Zechariah, this Jesus is the one coming back, the one we're waiting for. And when he comes back, this is what he's going to do. He's going to wipe it clean. And we are going to be joined with him. Oh, what a glorious Jesus this is. What a glorious day it will be when this Jesus enters in through the eastern gate of the temple and fully restores all things. This was the Jesus they were looking for and expecting. Not the one they got. But this is the Jesus that we get. Now back to the Gospel of John. There's one last thing I want to highlight for our time together. Verse 16, his disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. Even the disciples didn't understand what was happening, really happening. You want to know the dirty little secret here? Even the disciples thought that the Zechariah 9 Jesus was the one they were welcoming and walking into Jerusalem with. They thought this was what was going to happen. But it's not the Jesus they got. But they didn't understand it. Doesn't that seem odd to you? I mean, how? How could they not see this and understand it? I mean, the way John writes it, he and the other disciples didn't even capture the fact that 
Jesus riding on a donkey was the fulfillment of Zechariah chapter 9. But it was. Why couldn't they see it? How could they miss this? They've been with Jesus for so long. They've watched him do miracle after miracle, fulfill Old Testament scripture of messianic promises after messianic promises. They watched him raise Lazarus from the dead. How could they not see this? How could they not get it? Well, they couldn't get it for the same reason you and I don't get it. What happened after Jesus was raised that made it possible for them to understand all these things? It was Pentecost. The giving of the Holy Spirit. When the Spirit came down, then they began to understand and see all these pieces and start to put it all together. In, I'm sure, wonder and amazement, they saw it. And the same is true for us. Unless the Holy Spirit opens our eyes and opens our ears and opens our hearts, we don't get it or understand it either. I mean, think about it. Those of you who can remember your salvation, what did you think about Jesus before your salvation? Before the Holy Spirit opened up your eyes, what did you think? You thought nothing about a Zechariah 9 kind of Jesus. Right? It wasn't until the Spirit did the work of transforming your heart and opening your eyes that then you could see Jesus and understand Him and make Him into someone you want to follow. Things are no different now than they were on that day as Jesus rode into Jerusalem. Unless the Holy Spirit does the work, of opening our eyes, we will never see Jesus as glorious and beautiful and majestic and wonderful and full of awe. Unless the Spirit opens our ears, we will never hear the voice of God the Father speaking to us. Unless the Spirit heals the lameness in our hearts, we will never walk with Jesus. And unless the Spirit heals the crippledness in our spirit, we will never trust in Jesus. Not just trusting in Him for salvation, but trusting in Him through all the challenges and difficulties of life. I know a thing or two about this subject. And I didn't do it very well. Okay? Just to be frank and honest, I didn't do it very well. But by the end, I started doing it well. Well, by my standards, I did it well. I was way better than I was when, we all, when, when stuff started. It took the Spirit opening my eyes to be able to trust Him in the difficulties of the past year and to walk with him in belief that he was doing something and this, all of this had a purpose. 
And that only happens because the Spirit works in us to open our hearts, open our eyes, and open our ears. And, just like the promise in Isaiah 35, unless the Spirit works in us, we will remain mute and unwilling to speak about Jesus to others. But the Spirit is at work, and the Spirit does. Open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts, open our minds. That we can trust in. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for the gift of your word. Oh, Lord, it is so sweet and precious and rich and full. Thank you for the way you open our eyes, Lord, to see what's there. And you open up our ears to hear your voice speaking to us in your word that gives us hope, that gives us conviction, that gives us the opportunity and the belief to trust in you. In Jesus' holy name, amen.